lots of fun, good times. Jared, <clears throat> you and your dirty birds, you're all excited, I know. Yeah, I get these direct messages. Back, back in the olden days when I was on social media, before this social media fast that is wrecking my world, Jared would send me direct messages on Twitter, and usually it was when his team won, and the team I wasn't pulling for lost, or won, and the one I was pulling for lost, and so anyhow, he's excited about the Atlanta Falcons and, and whatnot. I don't really have a dog in this hunt, uh, but anyhow, we're going to have a good time. Football Sunday's always a blast. Uh, and so let's, uh, we're going to get into a faith that shakes. Anthony filled in preaching, did faith that shakes part 35 last week and knocked it out of the park from what I hear because I heard it. I heard it on the podcast. If you've not gone to the podcast, go check it out. You can check it out from the website or you can search it on uh, podcast and you'll find the LifePoint uh, Sermon Audio podcast. Uh, in the last 30 days, we just got it up and running, really haven't advertised it that hard, and we've had over 200 plays, and uh, it, it's been pretty cool, so go check out the podcast. If, you, if you've heard the podcast, let me see your hand. Anybody heard the podcast? We got some of you. Cool. Uh, Young Life needs to pick it up a little bit on the old podcast. All right, so um, we are now getting into... Uh, Am I loud out there or am I okay? I, I feel awkward like I'm about to roar or something. It's making me want to talk quiet. But I don't, it, whatever, I'm just pointing that out. So, all right, uh, let's say a prayer. How, how about we start that way? Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray that you'd just, uh, just show us some awesome things. We'll give you praise for it in Jesus' name, amen. So we're making our way through the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 20 right now, again, and we're going to go through... Uh, this is part three. We've been here for three sessions, three Wednesdays, and we're going to spend a little more time in Acts 20, and I'm going to cover some verses we've covered before, but with some fresh perspective. I, I don't feel to, to leave it quite yet. There's a few untapped areas we need to tap into, and so we're going to do that, and we'll move on. But we're going to cover some ground that we've covered a little bit differently, so hang with me, and then we'll get into some new territory and so we are in Faith That Shakes. This is part 36, Acts 20, part 3. In part 34, when I did it last, we looked at how Paul could preach so long because he had memorized the entire Old Testament. Anthony preached on Joseph. He just called it Faith That Shakes and just preached on Joseph and did a great job. But back in Acts 20, we saw how Paul, as a young Jewish man, had memorized the entire Old Testament. Because you would memorize a certain amount until the time you were 12. And then from 12 to 15, if you were special, you'd learn more. And you'd get into a special class. And then if you were really good, from 15 to 30, you would emerge having memorized the entirety of the Old Testament. And that's exactly what Paul had done. But he didn't understand it. And then when the lights came on, when he saw Christ, when he saw Jesus in that Old Testament, that's why he could preach until midnight and then and preach, continue to daybreak. He could preach for hours and hours on end because he was preaching from that Old Testament, Jesus Christ. That's like my Bible study chart. If you've ever gone through my Search for Truth 2 with my lovely watercolor charts, you know that that's a 12-week course. 
that takes me about a year and a half to finish because there's just so much in there. And the more you learn, the more you see, and the more you see, the more questions you have, and you dig a little further. It's like an onion. It just, you never get to the end of it. So awesome things uh, tucked away. And that's why he preached so long. We saw where Eutychus fell out of the window because he fell asleep during Paul's preaching, which made me feel good, you know, that I'm not the only phenomenal preacher that people fall asleep, you know, as they preach. Uh, Eutychus fell asleep while Paul preached and fell out of the window and died and was raised from the dead. So here we go. We're going to pick it up in verse 13. Are you with me? And Jamie, again, it's great to have you. Jamie's an original. You guys need to get to know Jamie. She is an original here at LifePoint. We love her dearly. Uh, Verse 13. Then we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Assos, where intending to take Paul on board, for so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. And then we met up, then he met us there. We took him on board and came to this other place. We sailed from there, and the next day came opposite Chios. The following day, we arrived at Samos and stayed at Tregilium. The next day, we came to Miletus, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that we wouldn't have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now, let's pick it up there. Paul had already missed the self-imposed deadline of getting to Jerusalem before Passover. And so here he is trying to get there by Pentecost. We don't know why he was running late. Perhaps it was because he was taking his time and being reflective, thinking over the incredible things that had happened since he kicked off his first missionary journey 10 years earlier. And so maybe he's nostalgic Maybe it's because he knew that he would never pass this way again, so he's taking it all in one last time. So on part of his journey back to Jerusalem, he he walked. It says he went by foot. So I see him as pensive, reflective, retrospective, introspective. He's thinking, and then he also sails part of the way, stops off at Miletus, And he calls for the elders of Ephesus to come to him and meet him there. And then he has this amazing emotional conversation with what had to be some of his favorite people on the planet. He had spent three years in Ephesus establishing an amazing church. And so here he is spending this this time with them, the last time that he would have to spend with them. There's a legend about the swan song. You may have heard it. It's controversial. There's different perspectives. There are different kinds of swans. But the legend is about the swan that wouldn't sing very much during his lifetime, but then right before he dies, that swan would would sing a beautiful and mournful song that was his last before he died. And so in a way, this is Paul's Swan song. It's his last hurrah. Artists have referred to the swan song throughout history. There's been ballets about swan songs, music about swan songs. Led Zeppelin's record label is called Swan Song Records. But Paul, although he had sung... A lot. 
in his ministry, especially, he's about to sing his last song. It's very moving. It's very poignant. He gathers the lead team and the core team, and he reminisces with them, and he challenges them, and he warns them. Let's read these verses again, 17 through 27. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. When they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God, faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. We looked at this last time. The responsibility, Paul saw it as being fully on him to discharge this this responsibility, this duty of sharing the gospel and and transferring that responsibility to, to those who heard. In other words, it was my responsibility to share it. Now it's your responsibility to do something with it. We are responsible as well. I think this is a powerful thought to transfer the responsibility from us to them. That is from us as the saved to them that are lost. Paul looked at it like this. Their blood is on my hands. I have to share, to proclaim, to declare, to teach, to preach the gospel to them to get that responsibility off of me. Paul's missionary journey, and this is where I want to go. Paul's missionary journey cost him. It was not easy. It was a journey that was filled with, as he says, many tears, many trials, conspiracies against him. And the reason was because of the truth that he was sharing. It was the message. It wasn't personal. It was business with the devil. The devil was coming against Paul because of the message, the truth that he was sharing. And he's dealing with these leaders from Ephesus. I think this is fascinating. 1 Corinthians 15 makes reference to some of these same events that he's speaking of with these elders that he had spent three years with. 1 Corinthians 15, 29 says, Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead? He's making this argument. He says, what will they do who are baptized for the dead? That doesn't mean baptizing dead people or baptizing people in lieu of the dead, that's another subject. But he says, if the dead do not rise at all, what's the use of being baptized? Why are they baptized for the dead? And why do we stand, listen to this, why do we stand in jeopardy every 
hour. He says, I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. And then we have taken that as a devotional thing to say I die daily. And a lot of preachers have Spurgeon, different ones. I die daily, meaning I die to my flesh, I die to self. And that's beautiful, that's what we should do. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. It's your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world. Be transferred by the renewing of your mind. Take up your cross daily, follow him. I die daily, right? But this is saying, what he's saying is, if this message is not effective, if there is no power in this message to raise the dead, then why do I put my life on the line every single day? Why do I risk my life every day by trying to fulfill my mission? I'm on a mission to get Jesus to people. That's what he's saying. Then listen to this, verse 32. If in the manner of men I have fought with the beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me if the dead do not rise? He fought beasts at Ephesus? So he's like got a chair and a whip, and he's like, you know, going against the lion. Wow, wow, bah, you know, fighting beasts at Ephesus. Does he, does he have a... a, a, a his camo on and his orange, and, and he's got his 30-06, and he's taking on the wild beast. No, no, this is, I believe, without a doubt, speaking spiritually. He was fighting violent spirits that wanted to rip him apart and take him down. So at Ephesus, he's with these guys that lived in the trenches with him. He was saying this was warfare. This was a fight. It's like we were fighting wild animals that were trying to take us down. This was a traumatic time. Now, this is interesting to me. When the 12 apostles were beaten back in Acts 5, we saw this. We looked at this. They went away from the council rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus. Remember that story? They they rejoiced. They, they were teaching and preaching the name of Jesus, the word of God, the message, the truth, the same truth that Paul was preaching, and it cost them dearly. In that story with the 12 apostles that were beaten, Guzik points out the word beaten can also be translated, listen to this, skinned. In other words, the beating they received stripped skin from their bodies, from their backs. The late Scottish theologian I. Howard Marshall points out it was no soft option. People were known to die from it. It was meant to be a serious lesson to offenders. In other words, this message they preached cost them dearly. It took skin off their back. Talk about having skin in the game. So here's Paul with skin in the game. Here's the other 12 with the 12 with skin in the game. I, I'm reminded of that story that Brother Bernard shared with us when he preached a couple of weeks ago about when his dad and mom were in, in South Korea planting a church right after the Korean War. And they're up preaching and teaching. And 
the government comes in and they grab Brother Bernard and they throw him on the street and totally disrupt the little service they had going. And then they get Sister Bernard and throw her on the street. Loretta Bernard, his mom, David's mom, throw her on the street. And if you knew Loretta Bernard ever, she's amazing. She's an amazing woman. And she she was indignant. I can just see her. She was in like, like I could just, just see her. She was like, oh, you've got to be kidding. Like, I could just see it going all over. But she realized, she realized, she thought of this story in Acts 5, and she said, she said, if they were worthy to be to suffer for the name of Jesus, I'm in their category. I'm in their I'm in their company. I'm in good company. And so she stood up and she rejoiced and began to go up and down the street praising the Lord because she was worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. To be used by God, it costs you something. That that theologian said it was no soft option. I'm afraid the church has become soft. God's asked us to do hard things, difficult things that bring an amount of persecution and suffering and tears and trials. But we back off and we talk ourselves out of it and we choose an easier path and we settle for temporary pleasure and in so doing condemn others to an eternal damnation. Just to make it easier on ourselves. What if David and... Uh, What if Elton and Loretta Bernard had not gone to South Korea? It was a hard thing. The story was that she left, uh, Elton and Loretta left on a steamboat headed to South Korea. Went on the steamboat over there. Took them months to get there. And in the meantime, while they're on the boat, Sister Bernard's mom dies. She gets criticism from the family. You left, forsook mom. Mom died. She didn't know it. They buried her and everything. She gets letters. She gets, you know, communication over there was slow and it was right after the Korean War. Anyhow, difficult, hard things to do. They left. They left. I remember when I was in Vanuatu and I hung out with a couple named uh, 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 the Sherrys. It it, it was Becky and Lee Sherry. And they told me their stories. They they planted churches and and, and pioneered works in, in Western Australia and in Papua New Guinea and in Vanuatu and other places, and, and, and Lee and Becky, amazing people, left on a steamboat back in the day, took months to get there, amazing, she's from the Midwest, Becky is, and when I, when I saw her, when she was older, she had been there most of her life, she had an Australian accent, she had left home so long ago, she didn't sound like an American, Hard things, leaving it all, forsaking it all, doing what God had called them to do. I, 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 I can't get away from this. In other words, Paul suffered to do what God had called him to do. And that church that he planted, they suffered as well. The church today is so soft. Claude Hickman founded a, a ministry called the Traveling Team, a missionary organization. He pointed some things out to me that are fascinating, especially right now with Elizabeth and Brendan where they are. We tend to say that Muslim nations are hard to reach, right? Don't we say that? Hard to reach. That Muslim nations are hardened to the gospel, closed to the gospel. Claude Hickman pointed out that 
Here's a statistic, a modern-day statistic. More Muslims are one to Jesus per missionary sent than any other people group now. It's just that we don't send enough missionaries. You know why? Some hard places. It's some difficult places. It, it, it's, it's a tough place to go, but there is fruit waiting to be harvested. It's not that they're not hungry. It's that we don't choose hard things. It's that believers choose to do easy things. As a matter of fact, in America, we spend more money on Halloween costumes for our pets than we do on missions to Muslim nations. That's an indictment. Choosing to do hard things. We've been called to go into all the world. I think God's raising up a generation that dreams big. I think God's raising up a generation that says, I'm willing to suffer. I'm willing to take the licks. Because here's the deal. This is not American cultural Christianity. This is the God of the Old Testament manifest in flesh Jesus the Christ, the creator of everything that we are serving and that we are worshiping. And he is bigger than this culture and he's bigger than our whims and he's bigger than all this stuff that we get attached to. And he's calling on us to serve him and him only. We'll have no other gods before him, but we will put him first. Amen? Hard things, dreaming big. I was touched by the funeral of Gene Cernan. He was the last man to walk on the moon. I think we have a couple of pics of him, Gene Cernan. He was asked to command, or he was asked to actually pilot Apollo 16, and he refused to do it. He refused to do it. I'm not going to pilot Apollo 16. I want to be the commander. And so he waited, and he didn't go with Apollo 16, but he did command Apollo 17. And when asked about it, he said, I, I've always felt like an underdog most of my life. I proved to myself that I was good enough, that I can get the job done. That's why I waited. That's why I waited for Apollo 17. That was a big point in my life, he said. He went on and said, dream the impossible and then go out and make it happen. He said, I walked on the moon, what can't you do? I love that. What are you not able to do that maybe God's put on your heart to do anyway? Well, then do it. Roll up your sleeves and get out there and watch God help you accomplish it. Amen? Do the impossible. I, 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 uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of different things you can do for the Lord. I know church planning. I know missionary work. It's my passion and it's my heart. It's not all about that. 
Uh, I mean, of course it is. We're all about Jesus, people, and mission. But I'm saying you can serve God in a lot of different ways. You can serve God working on your job. You can serve God in, in, in local church capacities. There's all kinds of different things you could do. Whatever God's put on your heart to do. Maybe God put a dream in your heart to start a business. Maybe God put a dream in your heart to, to do something extraordinary and something hard. But I do know something about church planning and missionaries. So I'll speak from that perspective. I don't know one church planter or one missionary who's ever done great things for God that it didn't cost them deeply and dearly. It's a sacrifice involved. It takes a lot to do what God's called you to do, but I don't know one of them that's done what God's called them to do that has any regrets about stepping out in faith. They may have made some honest mistakes. They may have messed up here and there, but the general idea of if I had it to do over again, I'd do it all over again because there's nothing more fulfilling than doing the will of God for your life. We saw it back in Acts earlier when in that sermon, David, after he had served the will of God, served his generation by the will of God, fell on sleep. It's like stepping out, doing what God put you on the earth to do. There is nothing more fulfilling. And sometimes he calls us to do hard things. Don't chicken out. Don't back out of those hard things. Do, are you with me? Do those hard things. Do the difficult stuff. Let's provoke one another to good works. I love this. Here's a thought. Paul was doing hard things, difficult things, paying a high price for it. And there were people all around him saying, don't go there. Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. It's going to be tough. You know who wasn't discouraging him from going to Jerusalem? any of the 12 God put it on your heart you feel bound to go do it son do it do the hard stuff go for it you don't see the 12 saying oh it's tough don't do that they're encouraging him what if we encourage one another to do whatever it was that God put on our hearts even if it was tough do that yeah That sounds crazy. Yeah, but maybe God's in it. Maybe you ought to consider it. Maybe you ought to do it. I love that. Let's move on, 28 through 31. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, listen to this, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, Also from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears, with floods of emotion. This is is Paul addressing leaders, those who imparted and impacted the congregation, the flock. At LifePoint, this would be our lead team and core team. He tells these leaders, take heed first to yourselves and then to the flock. Keep yourself in check. Stay true to the word. And then watch over those that you shepherd or pastor. Protect them. Confront the wolves. Be aware of what's going on. But as we saw two weeks ago, there would be those from within who were on the right path, but for whatever reason, got sidetracked. And skipped out on the truth. They would go astray and pervert, pervert the truth. Twist the truth is the wording Paul uses. 
And in so doing, they would draw others away as well. And, and, and I mentioned to you, this is one of the hardest things I've ever faced in ministry. When those who are my friends, those who I believed in, those who walked this path, path with me, uh, knew the truth, were strong in it, began to twist it and to pervert it. And in my 26 years of ministry, I've seen my share of this, and, and I've, I've had, I've, I've, I can smell it, I've seen it, I've experienced it, it's, it's a sad, sad thing. And, 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 and the ones that rise up, they draw others away with them, and it's as if they're preaching an easier gospel, and I don't mean that in a derogatory sense, as if we are doing something hard when we believe the gospel, but taking the gospel and twisting it taking the sacrifice, taking the humility, taking the cross, taking the obedience out of it and, and making it something it was never intended to be. And we're going to see that here in just a moment, uh, making it a, an easy gospel. And, 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 and perhaps they did it for money's sake, fame. You know, in men's ministry, uh, T.D. Jakes always said something interesting. He talked about power, money, and sex. And he was saying that these are the things that usually men fall prey to in their walks. And that's been applied to ministry, and, and there's some truth to that. But I'll tell you some other things that come into play. One in particular is people just get tired of the struggle. And so they'll compromise their theology to get rid of the struggle. And so they'll change the word to mean something else to make it easier. And, and, and Paul is, is stout. He says, he says, this it's not your church leadership. It's God's purchased with his own blood. And, and he's saying, I labored for three years. I gave birth to this church with blood, sweat, and a lot of tears. And I warned you to not let go of the message and to make sure the message stays pure. And so... Here's, here's the deal. It looks, like, it looks like this church and these leaders did hold on and there was an uprising from among them. How do we know this? Because we have a letter written to them in the book of Revelation from Jesus Christ. Look at this, Revelation 2, 1 through 7. Are you with me? This is amazing. To the angel, Revelation 2, 1 through 7, to the angel of the church of what? These things say he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, uh, sticks, lampstands, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. Check that out, commendation. You have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. They're false apostles. And you found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have that you hate the deeds, check this out, of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. To him who overcomes, I'll give him the tree of life, which is in the midst of paradise, the paradise of God. We'll come back to this idea of the first love, etc. I want to look at these Nicolaitans. Go with me, and I know we're moving around, and it's kind of quick. 
but it's going to make sense. Look with me to Acts chapter 6. We've seen this before. Verse 1. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom you may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. They laid hands on them, prayed for them. The word of God spread. Number of multi- multiple, number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. This Nicholas, according to many historians, this Nicholas is the Nicholas that perverted the truth, joined forces with a couple other compromisers, Balaam is one of the names thrown out, a reference to Balaam, and another one, the prophetess Jezebel, in those first chapters of Revelation. It was an unholy alliance, and they undermined everything the apostles stood for. They're teaching, they're preaching, they formed this alliance, and they worked to destroy what the apostles had laid their lives down. Not to mention Jesus bought with his own blood the church. And this Nicholas who is handpicked by the apostles, no doubt by the direction of the Holy Spirit, went rogue. He just went off the reservation. You put those other passages together, you'll see where if you do some correlation with the Old Testament, Jezebel, Balaam, They promoted an idea that was Gnostic in origin. In other words, what you do with your physical body doesn't matter. So you can sin all you want. doesn't matter to God. And then you can also look at it like this. All these things that are done with the physical body in response to the Lord, whatever, water baptism, speaking in tongues, laying on of hands, all these things that involve the physical body, they have no consequence either. The idea is this, whatever you do with the body doesn't matter. There ain't nothing new under the sun. You got that in modern Christianity all the time. doesn't matter. You smoke dope. You can get drunk. You can sleep around. You, you, you don't have, you know, you, you can do all that. And then you also got the other side. Baptism doesn't matter. We'll baptize you anyway. However, sprinkled, dunk, whatever, none of that matters. It's so downplayed. Speaking in tongues, it's laughable. Laying on of hands. I heard a preacher the other day, a guy that I listen to on a regular basis, downplaying the anointing of, uh, uh, with oil. It's just apothecary type stuff, superstition. It was the idea of doctors, etc. Just downplaying the anointing, uh, laying on of hands, anointing with oil, that kind of stuff. It's the same idea. It, it's, it's listening. It's listening. That's, that, so here you have a guy rising up, going against everything the apostles taught, and they were you know, trained firsthand by Jesus the Christ, 
And, and so here, here's the idea. Here's the bottom line. You ready for this? Here's the bottom Everybody say the bottom line. You can't get attached to a man. You've got to put the word before anybody. I know what it's like to have a preacher let me down. I know what it's like to have a preacher go off and change his point of view and change his theology and change his thoughts and leave me confused. I know what it's like to have a pastor fall into sin and a church gets all discombobulated and everything gets all messed up. I know what that is like, but our faith is not in a man. Your faith is not in me. Our faith has to be in the word. It has to be grounded in word. As a matter of fact, the great apostle Paul would tell the church of Galatia in that first chapter, he said, if, if I come or anybody I've mentored comes or an angel from God comes and preaches anything differently than I first brought to you, let them be accursed. That's strong. It's, it's anathema. It literally means doomed, damned, if you will, to the bad place if they preach or if I preach he was saying I believe we, we have to be grand. and I've told you before you don't know if I know what I'm talking about I don't know if you know what you're talking about but I know 12 men who knew what they were talking about those apostles and here's old Nicholas hands laid on him by the apostles appointed given a ministry that was dynamic and if it's the same cat rises up and says really those old guys didn't know what they were talking about. Got, I got a new way. And Paul said, I knew this was coming and I warned you with tears every day. Get away from that. Get away from, resist that. And that church at Ephesus, you know what they did? They resisted it. They said, we're not going there. Nope, we're not going there. You know, there's something offensive about that obstinate person that says, I ain't doing that. You know, you ever got one of those ideas like, hey, let's go to Dairy Queen. Nope, I ain't going there. I want to go to Dairy Queen. Come on now. We'll get a blizzard. It's fast week. Not going there. Oh. Did you see that Instagram post? Nope. I ain't going there. Oh, that's right. It's a fast. Oh, I blew it. I'm so sorry. Well, I ain't going there. You know, that obstinance, I ain't going there. That's what that church at Ephesus was like. Nicholas rises up and he gets some people. But as a whole, those, those leaders said, nope. We're not going there. You can allow yourself with these others and draw them astray and eat them, chew them up and spit them out. But we're, we're guarding this flock. We're going to do our best. And they did that. It's amazing. It's amazing. Amen. Stand with me right now. Pretty hardcore. The bottom line is this. They paid a high price. We'll finish up Acts 20, and we'll look at the idea of first love. Because just because they kept the doctrine and they kept the teaching pure, man, they had some issues. They were, they were, they were having some issues. So bad that Jesus, and this is beautiful about Jesus, these, Jesus didn't just walk off. He talked to them. I got a problem with this. And he said, go back and do those first things you did. So we'll look at that. What are those first things that they did? And what are those first things that you did? When you first came to Jesus, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes I'm like, we, we need to get, we need to get the, the, the slack yanked out of our chain. We're out wandering around, 
and, and we forget our purpose. Forget our purpose. This is not, again, that's why those quotes from Claude were so impact, uh, impacting to me. This is not American Christianity. This is not Tiggy Duplessis or Daigle Road. This is Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God, creator of heaven and earth. This is epic. It's epic. And why did I start serving him in the first place? I'll tell you why. Because he loved me. He said, I'll forgive you. I'll pull you in and make you my son. I'll lift you up. I'll bless your socks off. I'll give you a peace. You can't get anywhere else. And man, I... I burned my ships. I'm like, I'm in. Here I am. But sometimes in the day-to-day of it, I forget all that. And Jesus was saying, remember that first love? God, that first, oh, I do. There were times I cried, times I laughed in the presence of God. I read the word. Half the time, I didn't even know what in the world it was saying to me, you know? But I was so hungry. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Just hungry, like, feed me, Lord. I listened to sermons. I listened to tapes back in those days, Anthony. You know, I listened to it. I have to rewind it. And that, that's, kids, that's what you do. You push this button, and it would go like, rewind, you know? Listen to it again and again and again. Hungry. Can you lift your hands to him right now? Father, we thank you so much for your word. There ain't a single one of us here perfect. Not a single one of us here that's never lost our way. Never walked away from our first love. Forgot all about that stuff. But God, tonight, tonight, Lord, just in this challenging scripture about doing hard things and following hard after God and not living that soft life and that lackadaisical life and that just half-hearted life but that all-in kind of life Lord we've kind of come back to the, the foundation why do I do what I do it's because I love him I love you you first love me and I love you I'm blown away that you would love me and it makes me want to love you in return it's all about that Lord